Good evening, everyone. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin. I'll be hosting a special live broadcast tonight on News Talk 760 WJR. We're going to be talking about the prevention of disease and the urgency of taking action before the onset of serious medical problems. Dr. Brian Colliner, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, is here tonight to tell you what you need to know about how to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether and what you need to do to prevent Alzheimer's and many other chronic diseases. Unfortunately, the phone lines are down at WJR tonight, so if you have a question, you will have to go to Facebook Live, WJR, and list your question there, ask your question there, and we will get back to you. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Again, I'd like to welcome all of you to a special live medical radio show here on News Talk 760 WJR. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and we're here tonight to talk to you about prevention and why you have to start looking at health care from a different perspective. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, is joining us from Birmingham, Michigan, to give us some hard talk about dealing with our health and making sure we get the necessary testing. Normally, we'd ask you to call in and speak to the doctor directly, but unfortunately, the phone lines at WJR are down tonight, so we're asking you to post your questions on Facebook Live, and hopefully we can answer them in that fashion. So, Dr. Collender, welcome back to another one of your very interesting shows. Bring us up to date on what's going on. Well, I'm the sound of so at the uh, risk of sounding spoiled, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm kind of burnt out of COVID. You okay. know, I've got COVID fatigue and I'm not that interested in talking about COVID today. I've got some COVID observations, but in terms of having a detailed conversation about who should get vaccinated or not and what vaccines are out there and what about the variants, I'm kind of fatigued about it. And I think it's time to move on with normal life. And, you know, why, um, you know, why do you have to wear a mask in a doctor's office if you can go to a restaurant and, you know, not wear a mask. Well, you have to wear a mask to get in, but then once you get in, it doesn't matter what you do after you get in. So walking... Well, it requires a fair amount of self-regulation. You know, I mean, we have to trust that people that have not been vaccinated are going to continue wearing masks, correct? Because it really only works if you've already been vaccinated, correct? I don't know what it means when you walk into like the drugstore like I did today before the show and to find that I'm the only one in there without a mask. So does that mean that no one in there got vaccinated or does it mean that um, people are vaccinated but they don't believe that the vaccine works? So if the vaccine works, why wear a mask? And I know some stores have policies that the employees need to wear a mask, which I think I understand because they don't want their employees getting sick from people from the public not following the policy, which is they've not been vaccinated, they're sick, and they're not wearing a mask. But I don't understand why every customer in there is wearing a mask when I'm pretty sure here in Oakland County in Birmingham, they've been vaccinated. Although I could be wrong. I don't want to make any socioeconomic assumptions. Well, I think the question out there is, Having been vaccinated, having gotten the full measure of whether it's two vaccines or one, whether or not you can catch it again or whether or not you are able to spread it if you're exposed to somebody else, I think that's where all the confusion is. Well, if we're going to follow the CDC, 
which I'm, I guess I'm going to follow them when it suits me and not follow them when it doesn't. So today it suits me to follow the CDC. And I'm going to say that, um, you know, right now I like what they're saying, which is you're not going to sh- uh, spread it and uh, you won't get it from somebody else. So don't wear a mask. Um, you know, then the question is, which my daughter asked me or told me the other day, which is, why is anyone getting COVID then? If What's the answer? Well, it's still being spread. I don't know the answer. I don't know the statistics on who's spreading it. Is it vaccinated people or not? But there are people who've been vaccinated who are getting COVID. So in the study groups, people are, the transmission rate's very, very low, but it's not zero. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is that your chance of going to the hospital if you've been vaccinated is zero. So it's 100% hospital admission avoidance. Uh, But it does mean you won't get COVID. Like this week, I had a cold, and I thought I had COVID. Again, again, because you had it already. I had it a year ago. I got vaccinated, and I felt like I did when I had COVID. And I went and got my first COVID test which I did not enjoy at all, um, and it was negative. What did you not enjoy about it? Um, I didn't enjoy having a, uh, a tube cleaner shoved way up my nose and held there for a few <laughs> seconds, uh, for maybe however many interminable seconds it was. Again, everyone's done it except me until today. Really? So this I, was the first time oh, you I had that test on? I didn't realize yeah, that either. I've not been tested. Wow. Well, I had it. Well, you had COVID I, way back so, in the beginning. And then I didn't want to know if I got exposed after that. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it? You know, I didn't want to not. If I got sick, I would have been tested. So when I got sick, I got tested again. I Not again. I got tested for the first time once I got sick. So had I gotten sick in prior to then, I'm sure I would have been tested. So we. So what's the answer then? We don't need to be worried about it. I mean, because if you've gotten your vaccines had the you know you've got the you you've had the vaccines and therefore if you're around people that have it if you get it you're just not going to get very sick or you're going to be asymptomatic and don't worry about it anyway is that the message you just asked six questions okay well whatever i'm trying to get it in before we have to go to break well again we'll follow the cdc today which is if you've been vaccinated you're not going to get it or shed it and if you haven't been vaccinated then i'm not sure what you have to worry about because you're who are you getting it from you know, it must just you're spreading it among people who have not been vaccinated. Uh, that must be it. But I don't have data to support that statement because um, there's still people getting vaccinated. Although you have to say our country's doing really well. Our rates are really low compared to other countries that only have. What about Michigan? How's Michigan doing since we're broadcasting? Well, it Michigan. must be doing great because uh, Governor Whitmer took the mask off. Really? Yeah. Permanently, okay. Know, permanently, well, but to I mean, the degree that's been taken off, she got on the news and all smiles and said, take off the mask. Oh, well, I guess that's good news. Anyway, we'll have to take a short break. And again, you're listening to a special live broadcast. And we're here with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, talking about prevention. Unfortunately, the phone lines are down right now at WJR. But if you have a specific question and you would like to have the doctor answer your question... You'll have to go to Facebook Live and please send us your question and he'll be glad to answer it online. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. 
If you're just now joining us, I'd like to let you know we're welcoming you to our special medical radio show on News Talk 760 WJR. We're back again with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention in Birmingham, Michigan. He's here tonight to give us some hard advice on what we need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether. Normally, we'd ask you to call in and talk to the doctor directly, which is what Dr. Collender prefers, but unfortunately, the lines are down on WJR, so please go to Facebook Live, and we will address your questions, and the doctor provide answers on the air. So, Siobhan, you did have a question over the break. Yeah, so someone was asking, are statins bad? Well, that's an interesting question to ask. Um, there's a lot of people out there who feel that any pharmaceutical product is bad, and specifically statins. So I'm going to start out by saying that I use statins in my practice because statins reduce artery wall inflammation. And inflammation is what causes disease. And coming back to COVID just briefly, I think we've lost sight that COVID virus causes an inflammatory response that causes or adds to chronic illness, which is, you know, the long hauler and the uh, multi-systemic disease from children, and all of that is driven by inflammation. So when you're talking about reducing inflammation in your system, specifically your arteries walls, statins are an, a tool that I use to do that. They are bad the way they're being prescribed because they're, being mis they're not being prescribed properly. And this is our healthcare system at fault. The healthcare system has created a formula to choose who gets a statin. And so a lot of people that do not need statins get statins because they fit into this formula. Well, and who qualifies for statins? I mean, and what are they? Statins are drugs that stop your liver from making cholesterol. So okay. it lowers your cholesterol. And there is a subset of data that says that people that take statins you know, if you apply, give statins to a large group of people, 30% of them are going to have a reduction in, their, in heart attacks and strokes regardless of what their cholesterol is. So it's just an across-the-board 30% reduction in heart disease. So, and it's, a, it's very strong data. What's happening is we're catching the 30% of people that that's all they need to prevent a heart attack. The other 50% of people... Um, when I say the other 50%, of the remaining 70%, 20% probably don't need statins at all, regardless of what their cholesterol is. And 50% need more than just a statin to prevent from having a heart attack or stroke, or maybe they don't need it, but they need something else. So based on this data, and it is strong data, um, that's why a formula was created by the American Heart Association to choose who puts people on a statin, and that formula just doesn't work. So people that are skeptical of our system and of the, the interplay between the insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, our government and hospitals, and of which they should be very skeptical, um, those people look at this a little more closely and say, there's too much bias here uh, to use statins, it's driven by the pharmaceutical business, which it is, and it's a bad drug. And for the reasons that they're saying it's a bad drug, they're 100% right. But when statins are used properly, 
for people who have plaque, who are at risk for having events, it's not a bad drug. It's actually a life-saving drug. So, so they have to have the test to identify that they have plaque, first of all. Exactly. Okay. So they, Exactly. So I see. So they need the actual visionary, I can look at it and I can see plaque here type test. Right. Not we're guessing at it from a stress test. And to your point, there are people who have plaque who have phenomenal cholesterols. They still need a statin. So in my practice, Anne-Marie and Siobhan, I'm going to stop checking cholesterols. It's misleading. So we're going to manage heart attack and stroke and never check a cholesterol. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to check a marker that reflects cholesterol, the situation, but I'm not going to check a standard lipid panel. And I might not even check the lipo profile, which we do. So there's different ways of looking at lipids. So why, are you, why would you do that? What's the reason behind that? Because particle numbers, so there's different ways of looking at cholesterol. So when you get a standard lipid panel, you're getting how much cholesterol is being carried by every one of those particles. So let's say LDL. You're, let's say throw out, your LDL is 125. So 125 milligrams per deciliter represents that much cholesterol is being carried by your all the entirety of your LDL particles. And what's more important is how many particles of LDL do you have? That's a better gauge of risk to cholesterol, to your heart from cholesterol. The numbers that all of you get from your standard lipid panel, the total cholesterol, the LDL, the HDL, the VLDL, and then those ratios mean absolutely nothing as a predictor of you having a heart attack. And this doesn't matter whether you're on a cholesterol medicine or not. They don't predict disease in any way. Is there any danger to being on? Are they dangerous? Statins, are they dangerous to in any, in any way cause adverse reactions? In my opinion, the, the risk of being on a statin is minor. But as you know, we talk about this on the show all the time, that I don't want people being on drugs that they don't need. You know, so I'm with the listener who, the, you know, our Facebook uh, friend who said, you know, our statin's bad, who is triggering me. Um, it's not that they're bad. It's if you don't need it, don't take it. You know, drugs are a poison. You know, so I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek a little bit. When you need it, it's important. But if you don't need it, don't take a poison you don't need. Exactly. Because we live in a society that's poisonous. You know, we're eating foods with chemicals. We're eating foods that have been genetically altered. We're eating foods that have been grown in soil that have pesticides. All, you know, we're breathing air that's poison. We're drinking water with chemicals in it. All of these things cause constant damage to our body. We're being exposed to novel viruses that cause damage to our body. So... You know, all of the, the environments fill a, will, with chemicals. I'd like to limit the chemicals that we put in, but sometimes there's a necessary, I don't want to use the word evil, but you have to do something to, to alter the course of inevitability, which people think heart disease, chronic illness, 
bad aging is inevitable. It doesn't have to be. So when it comes to cholesterol, is there a test or a level that patients could ask for from their doctors that might be more productive than the one that they're getting? Great question. So yes. So the test that I'm going to start asking, doing, I've started already, it's called an apolipoprotein B. So this is, Amory just said. <laughs> I'm going to wait for you to explain right. that a little bit. Right. So what is this? So this is, so all your bad cholesterols contribute to artery, poor artery health, not just the LDL. In fact, LDL, which is the drug, the number everyone's focused on, is the least inflammatory. So even though the data's been there, that taking a statin lowers your LDL, and if your LDL's lower, then you're doing better, that's just because the pharmaceutical companies made a drug that lowers LDL. That's why the data's there. The real thing is you want to lower all the other bad lipids, including LDL, of which it's the least important. And in the process of lowering LDL, they've learned that statins have some alternate benefit of reducing inflammation in the wall of the artery. So when you say, well, the lower the LDL, the better the outcomes, it's really the more the LDL, the more anti-inflammatory effect you're putting into your body to reduce the inflammation of the wall of your artery so you don't have an event. And it's correlated randomly to lower LDL. I shouldn't say randomly, but that's the correlation. Uh, All right. Well, right now we're going to have to take a quick break. Again, you are listening to a special live medical broadcast. If you have a specific question and would like to talk to or hear from the doctor directly about what you need to do to avoid heart attack or stroke or have a question on any of the subjects discussed tonight, you're unfortunately going to have to go on Facebook Live because the lines are down at WJR this evening, and we apologize, but go on Facebook Live, and the doctor will address your questions. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live medical broadcast on News Talk 760 WJR. We're fortunate to have Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention here tonight to give us some straight talk about two important topics, prevention and being proactive. If you'd like to hear from the doctor directly, unfortunately the lines are down at WJR, so please go on Facebook Live, WJR Facebook Live, and post your questions there, and the doctor will be glad to answer any of your questions that you post. So Dr. Collender, where did we leave off at the break? Well, we want to thank Rick for posing a question we went into great detail off the air during Facebook to answer. Oh, yeah, this is right. my scientific <laughs> colleague at WJR. Okay. So we were talking about what test are we going to do to help with cholesterol. Um, so we're going to do this apolipoprotein B or ApoB for short. So ApoB is a protein that's attached to every bad cholesterol. So all the bad lipids have an ApoB protein attached. So that basically means every cholesterol particle except HDL because HDL is considered your good cholesterol and it has a protein called apolipoprotein A, not apolipoprotein B. So it's, it's they've, your HDL has an A. The other bad lipids, of which there are many, have a B. So measuring your ApoB levels is 
the single best marker for identifying your risk of heart disease from cholesterol. And it's simple and it's one level. And the other things that I get from a lipid panel that I'm going to miss is a gauge of your insulin resistance. So we talked about inflammation. We always talk about inflammation. And insulin resistance is a driver of inflammation that probably half of you have, if not more. And insulin resistance is the process of becoming diabetic. And in fact, I think the word diabetes should go away. Um, it should be called end-stage insulin resistance. And we should have mild, moderate, severe insulin resistance. And then we should have end-stage insulin resistance, which means now your pancreas doesn't work. Uh, How do people become insulin resistant? Oh, boy. Seven I mean, minutes. is that, no, seriously, is, I mean, I just want to know, is that something you inherit or something you ingest or something you get by genetics or is it all something, the, you, all, of, all the of the above? So um, insulin resistance is, I'll say, partially inherited from our, you know, our, it's in the environment of our family. So uh, when you inherit your gut microbiome through the, when, which you get from a vaginal delivery, you get your mother's uh, gut environment to you. Um, if in your family, the environment of your grandmother, great-grandmother, mother, father has been poor, meaning eating bad foods, eating chemicals, living in an, an industrial environment, living under stress, um, all the things that you think of as lifestyle-related bad health, the microbiome is damaged. You have a worse version of the, microbi of the microbiome. And, the and also the environment that people live in determines how cells present themselves. So we just talk about genes, coding you know, proteins that make an immune response. If your genes are in a negative environment, um, like you know you're you're smoking and you don't eat right and you don't exercise, you have high blood pressure, you're eating chemicals, you're drinking chemicals, um, your genes develop uh, tags, so to speak, uh, that change the quality of the protein that a specific uh, DNA would have encoded. So if you're in a healthy environment, that same DNA will create a better version of the protein that it's made to, uh, made, you know, that it's there to encode. So possibly people who respond poorly to COVID have a negative environment where they're not able to make the proteins that generate an immune response as well as someone who has, lives in a better environment. Same goes for diabetes, or I just said we're going to get rid of that word. Same goes for insulin resistance. If you are coding for healthy metabolism, but you know, you, you, you're a generation, you know, three, four generation of an unhealthy family, well, now your DNA has just been riddled with tags that tell it to make products badly from the outset. So you're not born with like a fresh set of DNA. 
you're born with a set of DNA that's been with baggage, you know, baggage, right? You know, you know, graffiti tagged, right? To you know, to do bad things. But is it possible to stop this? Is it possible to prevent it from happening? Well, that's what that's what my whole practice is based on is stopping that from happening. So, some people it'll happen quicker, and some people it'll it's harder because of the amount of baggage that they're carrying. So, what might be good enough for me to achieve healing of my arteries may not be good enough for you, listener, to achieve. You may have to work harder. The key is, how do you know how hard you have to work? How do you know? And the answer is, you've got to collect data that identifies this process. Well, let me ask you a question. What is some testing that can be done early on to identify insulin resistance? Because obviously, like you said, diabetes is end stage. What are some ways that earlier on, before you even get to that stage, you can identify a test you can ask for or some sort of level that you can get that shows that you're on the path to this end stage disease? Right. So... We're gonna, let's start by talking about the tests that don't help you. The classic diabetic tests, a hemoglobin A1C is worthless. A blood sugar is worthless. Wow. Because they are late stage markers of severe and end stage insulin resistance. They're not early stage markers. So I look at patterns in the lipid panel. So now there's new markers. Um, there's a series of insulin resistance markers that help us gauge insulin resistance that I'm starting to use in the practice. And um, I'm going to call them experimental, but they're better than what we have. So right now I look at someone's panel, and I'll be honest, I probably overdiagnose insulin resistance, but I can't hurt anybody by telling them they got to work harder at eating healthier um, and if they have plaque, high inflammation markers in their blood work, and I think they have insulin resistance, I may do, you know, I use medicines very early on in the process to prevent them from having a heart attack that might be driven by insulin resistance. And, but that's what you got to do. So talk about using medicines. Is this bad? Is that bad? I use some drugs that, frankly, a lot of doctors are afraid to use, and I use them early. And I mean, Why are they afraid to use them? They may get some bad press because they've been used in the wrong population during their heyday. So there have been some bad outcomes. But in my experience, when I use them in the right person, um, when, th- things go better. The key, the point here is, Amory, it's important to try to be healthy. You don't have to be good at it. But when you're trying to be healthy, treatments work better. You cannot chase bad habits with medicine. And unfortunately, a lot of you are listening to the, you know, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, the pharma Kool-Aid, your doctor's Kool-Aid. Oh, don't worry. I got another drug for your diabetes. Here's another drug for your diabetes. Well, how about, why don't we give you these drugs 15 years ago before you're diabetic, Mm -hmm. before your pancreas has failed? Let's give your pancreas a break on the second day that it's starting to crank up a little bit. That's a problem is you got to identify this stuff early. So you got to look for it, Siobhan. Your question is, what do I look You've got to be thinking about it. You don't wait until late-stage findings to say, oh, you might be diabetic. Oh, don't worry. You're only pre- being, Pre-diabetes is the worst diagnosis you can get because you're going to ignore it. 
Well, let's come back and find out at what stage or what age we have to start looking at how to avoid insulin resistance. In the meantime, we're taking a quick break. You're listening to a special live broadcast from the studios of Startup Nation in downtown Birmingham. And if you have a specific question on the subject we're discussing tonight and would like to hear from the doctor directly, unfortunately, you'll have to go on Facebook Live at WJR because the phone lines are down, but he would like to see your questions and be able to answer them. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to the final segment of our special live broadcast here on News Talk 760 WJR on the importance of being proactive and informed of the resources available to prevent and treat the chronic and debilitating diseases we've come to accept as inevitable. You're listening to the expert advice of Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention. If you have a question for the doctor, we'd like to hear from you. Unfortunately, the lines are down at WJR this evening, so please go on Facebook Live, post your question, and the doctor will be glad to answer it online. Dr. Collender, where are we going to wrap this up with this, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the talk about the uh, statins and what's good for you, what's bad for you, and insulin resistance? What do people, what do people, how do they take action? Well... Let's action. You know, uh, let's go back to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back into, and bring, I said we were going to talk about COVID, but let's bring it back in because we talked a little bit about this in the break. You know, in the beginning of COVID, we were recognizing that inflammation was driving this whole condition. And I thought that, oh, here's where the doors open up and the medical society and everyone says, oh, inflammation's the cause of all of these problems. And I think we've already forgotten it just because the news cycle and now all we can talk about is, you know, who's doing a vaccine and now we've moved on to God knows what. Um, it, the public needs to understand that the real source of chronic illness is inflammation and they want to avoid doing things that generate inflammation in their system. So what action, you asked, Anne-Marie, should someone take? Right. Well, First is they've got to identify whether or not they have disease. And that means either doing a CT calcium score of the heart, which is a CAT scan that looks at plaque, which is a identifier of disease. And the disease that we're able to objectively follow, and objectively is the important word here, um, is calcium deposits in the artery. And the other test that they should do is this carotid wall ultrasound. It's a CIMT. That is the most important test because as you heal, that test is going to get better. And if you get worse, that test is going to get worse. And the treatments that we apply can be adjusted based on these numbers. Um, yes, there's labs that we do in between these measurements to help gauge our progress and pivot our decisions. But the labs are not objective enough. The CIMT is very objective. The CT calcium score is great at identifying that you have plaque, but it cannot be used to follow progress because you may get better and your CAT scan might get worse. It's not a gate, you know, I know that's contradictory, but it's not enough time to explain that. But your CAT scan can get worse and your arteries are healing. Um, and so the data needs to be there. 
And, and then, the data is coming from what? The CIMT? Mainly the CIMT because that's, da that's repeatable data that can be followed closely. So how often are you doing this test? If you get someone to come in and they, they get their first CIMT, you identify, they have plaque, what's your next step? Once when, a year. Once a year? Once okay. a year. Well, that's, a, that's I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I have them get the CIMT once a year, and we do labs that measure artery health, you know, two to three times a year. It's a lot of work to get healthy. Like we just talked about, I mean, look how many of you, if you look around, how many of you are sick? And you look outside, and everyone's hobbling, and they can't walk, and they can't move, and they're right. overweight and everything. These are all reversible conditions. You're not, this, it's not normal to be, you know, for all this stuff to be going on. It can be stopped. But when you know where you are, then you are kind of motivated to do better. And having the right kind of data. And the reason people don't respond well to the information that they're getting is because, like our caller said, our statin's bad. They see through the BS. They see through the whole pharma, government, insurance company, hospital, labor, you know, the, all the uh, political action committee conglomerate, you know, uh, behind these decisions. And because they know there's lies behind all of it. They they don't respond to the data they're being presented with. But when you present people with their data that's real and makes sense, they're going to go, "Oh, that that's something I can look at. What do how do I fix it?" And people will do change when they see that kind of data and it's and it's and it's substantial and it's something you can put your it's tangible. So go yeah. ahead. Oh, no, that's it. I can change. That. Well, I mean, I I'm just thinking. Unfortunately, for the people that are listening and for the patients out there, I think they are suffering from what I would call blind faith. As like they've put their trust in a primary care physician, and they believe that this person's going to shepherd them through to keep them healthy, and it's just simply not true. And they've got to wake up and figure out that that's that's not the way things are going. That the primary care physician is not doing anything to identify the process early enough so that they can get on to a program of prevention so they can reverse the artery disease and therefore stop the 600,000 deaths from heart attack per year in the U.S. Well, you know, these primary, the whole healthcare system, these doctors are, you know, unwittingly involved in, you know, what I'm going to call the medical industrial complex. You know, this whole giant, and I'm going to throw the word dark state out there, of corporations that are driving our health care. I'm going to even say health care is the biggest business in the world. If you think there's some force, evil force out there running our lives, it's the health care industry because it's the biggest industry in the world, and they're preying at your illness. And another thing to, to add on to that is I think that it's become normalized to be pretty hooked on pharmaceuticals. You know, we have so many callers that call in and they're on a million drugs for all these different problems and yet have no idea what the source of these problems are in a lot of cases. And it's 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 strange to me that, that this is just like it's normal life to be taking 15 pills a day to treat this and to treat that and all these other things. I, I've got one minute to okay, go in sorry. a whole new conspiracy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're just, you just got me a whole other thing. So... A drug rep comes in 
to my office. You know, I don't treat a lot of bipolar disease, you know, because it's just not the nature of my practice. You're not a psychiatrist. Right, I'm not a psychiatrist. The problem is no one can get into a psychiatrist. No, you got so, that right. So the drugs, <laughs> the drugs are coming to primary care. I'm like, I thought of, 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 of bipolar as being the art of medicine. Like, you know, you just can't treat bipolar. You know, you've got to really have a, a hand on the, on, the, on the intricacies of mental illness. But the problem is... A drug is, rep is coming in to try to sell you bipolar medication? The FDA has expanded... Oh, we need the, to have another show. Yeah, this is a whole other oh show. Oh, my God. Well, right. cram it right. in. No, cram so what the bottom line is, this is the whole... The, the punchline is, and we'll get to the front later, the punchline is all of the choices of drugs are being driven by the pharmaceutical industry. The diagnosis codes are being created to fit the needs of a drug that got created. Not the other way around. Not, oh, we got a problem. Someone make a drug that fixes this problem. No. Here's a drug. Let's make a code to fit my drug. That's what's going on here. And this is why people are dis, dis, uh, what's my word? disenfranchised. They see through it. Whether you understand it or not, they see through the, the nonsense and how that they are just tools for people to make money off of. And when things are that bad... You don't give a crap, and you don't take care of yourself, and you don't go eat McDonald's every day. But when someone comes through and says, this is what you got, and this I can take you here, they're going to listen. Okay, I'm shocked about the news. We've got to do another show on that. <laughs> yeah. We should have started the show off with that. Uh, absolutely. Well, make a note, Siobhan. We'll, make, we'll make a note. <laughs> we'll save it for next time. We'll have to save it for next time. But unfortunately, we're out of time, so I'd like to quickly thank Dr. Brian Collender, MD, specialist in prevention for being here tonight and for being willing to share his expertise and knowledge with regards to not only the prevention of disease, but also on the importance of being proactive and engaging with a practice that provides access to the necessary testing. This show is brought to you by Colander Medical. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and we hope you got some useful information tonight on how to be your own advocate and take charge of your health, whatever your medical journey Tune in to Dr. Colander's show on WJR Sunday at 3 o'clock for more information. Please continue to tune in to our shows for the latest medical updates. And thanks for listening to News Talk 760 WJR.